All right, so we're going to look at three things this morning. The call to carry Jesus, the cost of carrying Jesus, and the fruit of carrying Jesus. The call, the cost, and the fruit. So the, the call to carrying Jesus, I already kind of was alluding to this. Um, wasn't necessarily anticipating to say all that before we jumped in, but the call to carry Jesus, it, it, it starts with Mary. Like it was really cool sitting and spending some time with that this week. She specifically gets called to carry him. <laughs> Pretty cool. And I would encourage you to spend some time in these passages and don't just quickly read the story, like spend some time in the coming days and weeks and just, just sit with this stuff. See what the Lord highlights to you, okay? So I just want to read a couple of verses, um, but the passage we're, we're starting with this morning, it's found in Luke chapter 1 um, in verses 26 through 38, all right? Um, Alex alluded to this. It was the funniest thing, you know, we just, I don't know, we're doing a lot of talking and reflecting as, as the church um, here recently. And one of the things that came up in staff meeting was like the beauty of like opening our paper Bibles and turning pages and finding things. And then we were talking about, well, a lot of us just have phones now, but like, that's still cool. Like I can see the written word on my phone. And we were talking about like, do we, do we remove the ease of it just being up there so people have to learn how to like find it and look it up and know where it is and like have it. And so I guess that was forced on us this morning. <laughs> Uh, sorry for some of the bizarre images that Apple TV put on the screen in the midst of our time of worship. Uh, that was, I was not ready for that. Um, anyway, so here we are. So you can get your phone out. You can listen to me read it. You can follow along with your Bible if you have it. Um, we'll be looking at a few passages this morning. But Luke chapter 1, I'm just going to read verses 28 and 29. And so here's Mary minding her own business, and the angel Gabriel shows up. And he, Gabriel, came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. I love this. Mary is sharp. Like, hey, there's an angel here and he's saying, he's saying greetings, you're favored. And she's like, that's great, but like, uh, what's going on here? <laughs> I'm trying to discern exactly why you're here right now. And so they go on to have this dialogue where Gabriel lets her know, like, man, the Holy Spirit wants to come upon you and, and you're going to give birth to the Christ. And, and she begins to grapple with what that means. Like, I'm betrothed, but I'm not married yet. I'm just engaged. I've never been with a man. How's this going to happen? By a miracle of God. By a miracle of God, it's going to happen. And so I love Mary's response as, as she takes all this in. She just simply says at the end of their interaction, Luke 1, and Mary said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Sign me up. I'm in. She says, yes. There, there is something beautiful and wonderful and joyful that we should never lose sight of at the fact that we get to receive Christ and carry Christ. The good news is truly good news. Jesus shows up into darkness and he brings light. He shows up into a world of death and he brings life. But in the midst of all of that good news, there, there is something that is very real that, that we need to be aware of. When we receive Christ, it does cost something. And we'll, we'll talk a bit more about it here in just a minute, but think about Mary in this circumstance. Like, this is incredible news. Like, 
The Savior's coming in her day and age, and she gets to carry him. That's incredible. But she's, she's now got to deal with the fallout of this. Like, will the guy I'm engaged to leave me? Like, she doesn't know in this moment how this is going to play out. Thankfully, Joseph's an honorable man, and he gets visited by the Lord, and he hangs in there. But we also know the stigma was attached to this family. You can check it out for yourself. In John chapter 8, in an adult Jesus, 30 years later, as, as he is talking to the Pharisees about who he is and what he came to do, they throw in his face, well, we were not born of sexual immorality. This state attached to him and to their family. To carry Jesus means to risk being misunderstood, misrepresented. That happens along the way. And so, but Mary hears the call and she simply says yes. Then we watch Jesus. You know, it seems obvious to us, right? Like Jesus came and it was with a purpose and he was on mission, but like, I don't know fully what it was like for him coming from being a small child and then growing up and along the way kind of coming to terms with who he is and why he's here. But he said yes. He said yes and cooperate with the will of God. And as we begin to reach now the end of his life, I want to pick this up in John chapter 12. And, and Jesus is now, man, he is he is heading towards the cross. Like the tri triumphal infantry has already happened. Like he's in his final days and he's beginning to realize like my purpose in being birthed here, the reason my mom carried me and now I've walked according to the will of my father in heaven my whole life, like it's coming to the moment of why I'm here. And in John chapter 12, verses 23 and 24, he says these words, the hour has come for the son of man to be glorified. That sounds wonderful. Look at the very next verse. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. He's about to be glorified. It's wonderful. It's why he came. But there is a reality. It's going to cost him. He's going to die in order to bear fruit. And you know, I don't want to get into a whole thing about this, but like, it's really interesting. Like the seed is just kind of this very small thing and even appears as a dead thing. And when it goes into the ground, like it's just in hope. I hope that the conditions are gonna be right, that that seed will germinate and it will grow. But there's a period where it's just kind of like, we'll see. <laughs> it's in the dirt, it's in the dark. We hope it works out. Will it germinate? But you know what's interesting? Like when a seed falls into the ground, it doesn't grow another seed. It also doesn't just produce a single piece of fruit. Like a seed becomes something that grows and bears much fruit. And that fruit carries what? More seed. And so Jesus is saying there is this beautiful process where there is death and that hurts and it's painful and it's a risk. Like, will life really come out of this? But in Jesus' mind, this is, a, this is a wonderful thing. This is glory that's about to happen. And so he realizes my death means this spreads. Something is gonna grow so big and so fruitful that much seed will be spread. And then friends, like for us as, as followers of Jesus, 
we could go, hey, well, I could learn something from Mary, but like that was a really unique circumstance she was in. And then I can look at Jesus and go, well, he's the unique son of God. Like he came to die for all of us. And all of that is true. But Jesus followed up this statement about himself. And these are the very next words. Verse 25, whoever, can y'all say whoever? Are you a whoever? I'm a whoever. <laughs> whoever loves his life loses it. We're all going to die. We're all going to die. We're all going to lose something. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. He, he's saying we're going to lose this thing anyways. Whether we try to hold on to it or not, we're going to lose it. But if we realize, instead of trying to grasp and hold on and squeeze everything out of this life that I can, instead, if I yield that up, I'm gaining something that bears eternal fruit. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. Where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. So Jesus' disciples are also called to carry him. And in carrying him, it will be costly. Friends, we've been called to carry him. And that is a beautiful thing. And it's a life-giving thing. And it produces joy and it grows fruit. But in the same way that it costs something unique for Mary and it costs something unique for Jesus, it will cost something unique for you and I. And so we're gonna move into point two now, the cost of carrying Jesus. I want you to see something. We spent a lot of time kind of soaking in what was happening in the early church. And there was some, some sacrifice for sure, but there was a lot of joy, right? We just see them thrilled to be around each other. They want to be together. They're learning and growing in Jesus. Like they're finding doctrine exciting. <laughs> they're enjoying breaking bread together. They're sharing their, their stuff with each other. Like they are just, they are in this beautiful, glorious community. And as we come out of Acts chapter two, the, right at this moment still, it's kind of just rooted right there in Jerusalem, right? And Jesus had called them to carry him, go and make disciples and go beyond Jerusalem to do it. And so now picking up, I just want you to see some of the things that unfold next. We've alluded to this a little bit along the way, but I really want to spend some time on this this morning. So we come out of Acts chapter two and one of the stories we've already looked at together, Acts three, the man who was lame from birth gets healed. And it's this miracle and it's incredible, but it leads to Peter and John being threatened by the authority of the day. The religious leaders are threatening them and telling them to stop preaching Jesus' name. They're trying to intimidate them. They're trying to push against it. They are opposing them carrying Jesus. Even though they've seen some fruit, this guy just got healed. That's been lame his entire life. There's opposition. And I want you to see the church's response. After the threats that came to them, Peter and John returned to the rest of their brothers and sisters. And this is what they do. Acts chapter four now, verses 29 through 31. Sorry, I should be giving y'all a little heads up of what's coming. I'm not in that rhythm, you know? I'm used to it just being on the screen. I'm out of practice. Acts chapter four, verses 29 through 31. Here's the church's response to being threatened for carrying the name of Jesus. And now, Lord, they're praying together. Look upon their threats and please make them stop. 
ow, that really hurt. I don't want to experience that again. Is that what they prayed? No. In fact, they just kind of knew these threats are going to continue. And so instead, what did they pray? Look upon their threats and grant your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. They looked at the external opposition and then said, God, help us to stay faithful in the midst of it. Church, we need to hear that right now. We have always lived in a world of opposition, but, but man, we are feeling it in some ways that maybe we haven't for a long time. We feel that tension there. And our eyes see the opposition around us. And, and friends, the place to stay is saying, God, help me in the midst of that opposition to be faithful, to continue to carry you despite the resistance. Wow. And so they say, hey, Lord, give us boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. God, we want to continue to carry your word and your works. God, continue to touch people's lives with your life. May that continue. Look at this, verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. We sang some of those words this morning. The place where they were gathered was shaken, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Now, wait a minute. Hadn't the place already been shaken and the Holy Spirit had already come and filled them? Isn't that what Acts chapter 2 was all about? How many of you know along the way we need a fresh touch? When we get weary, when we get tired, when the road gets hard, when the opposition that we face in this life hits us, we need a fresh touch. But did you see how it shows up? Not laying down on the floor like, God, the problems we're facing are real but we're asking you to give us boldness and courage to continue. And we're asking you to do what only you can do. Not make us these really famous, powerful prophets and healers that do stuff. Jesus, you come in power and touch people's lives. And God says, those are my kids right there. They're asking me for help, I'm in. And he touches them with a fresh touch. Cool, so it stops there, right? Nope. One chapter later, Peter's arrested, miraculously escapes from prison. <laughs> the doors just open. They go looking for him in the prison the next day. He's not there. Where do they find him? Not hiding. He's right back in the temple where he was, preaching. Because God gave him the boldness he'd asked for to continue in. And so they arrest him again. They imprison him. And now they're moving from threats to like, they're threatened and beaten. So the opposition that was just verbal became even more intense. They were threatened and beaten. They were warned for speaking about Jesus. And so what is the apostles' response to this? Acts chapter 5, verses 40 through 42. And when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and they let them go. Verse 41. Then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. I'm just telling you right now, that convicted me 
big time this week. Rejoicing because they were counted worthy. I lean more towards complaining. <laughs> Why is this happening? And guess what? I haven't been beaten any time recently for my faith in Christ. I'm not saying this to shame you or me. I'm just, like, I'm just being real. Like, my tendency is to lean towards, like, when I'm being pushed out of my comfort zone, when there are challenges, when there are obstacles. And like, guys, there's this, there's this thing I'm grateful for, but we also have to be aware of. I am, I am grateful for some of the incredible creature comforts that we have in our current society that we live in. But, but we are conditioned as Americans to think that comfort is a right. It's not. It's a miraculous privilege that we get to enjoy. And when we determine that that comfort is a right, not only do I moan and groan and complain when it's gone, but I feel like something I'm owed has been robbed from me when it's gone. And it's like the story of a lot of God's people over the course of history is like the moments of comfort have been rare and usually aren't good for them. Remember some of the time we've spent together in the Old Testament? As soon as things got comfortable, things went in a tank. I'm not saying we can't enjoy the comfort we receive. I'm just saying those can, that can be a dangerous place to live for too long. Because, because whether we know it or not, the comfort becomes the idol in what we worship. Instead of worshiping the God of all comfort, who comforts us even in our despair, even in our difficulty. So listen, I don't say this to shame us or make us feel bad. Guys, I'm just saying there is a component in this life of carrying Christ where in the midst of the joy of the fellowship of the saints, the beauty of the life of Jesus that is in us, the miraculous things he does in our lives and through our lives to redeem people, there is an element of this journey that costs something. And, and the church experienced this quickly. And so they go from meeting in the temple, like just kind of freely and it's no problem, to being threatened and now to being beaten. And, and they just, they continue to rejoice. And look at verse 42. And every day in the temple from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. And so the things they were doing when there was no opposition where they maintained daily and faithfully, they continued even in the midst of opposition. Man, that's a miracle. It's a miracle. It doesn't end there, friends. Acts chapter seven shares the story of our beautiful brother in Christ, Stephen, who'd been charged with faithfully serving widows, orphans, helping with the distribution of food, caring for the body of Christ. In the midst of his serving and giving, he had a bold witness for Jesus. And so despite the threats and the beatings, he stood up boldly again and declared who Jesus was and spoke with conviction and clarity. And friends, opposition went to outright anger. And in Acts chapter 7, the martyrdom of Stephen is recorded. Acts 7 verse 54 now, when they heard these things, they were enraged. Friends, when they were confronted with the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, they were enraged. See, when, when light comes into darkness, there are people who cannot wait. 
They're sick of the dark. They feel lost, alone, helpless, and they see the light and they're just like, oh, God, thank you. And they receive it with all gladness and joy and they enter in into the body of Christ. And we've seen that throughout the book of Acts. It happens. But friends, there are many who who have been blinded by the God of this age who operates in darkness and in lies, who comes to steal, to keep us from receiving the light, and who comes to kill and destroy. That's what he does. And so they hear the good news and they're enraged and they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, behold, I see the heavens open and the son of man standing at the right hand of God. They cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Friends, there is a time and a place where the, the, the culture around us will so refuse to hear the good news of Jesus that they will stop their ears to it and rush to put a stop to that message being declared. I'm thankful that we aren't there yet. And I would love to be wrong about what I think might be coming. Whether it's five minutes or five years or five more decades. But I know this, fellow Americans, for much of the church and much of the world over time, this has been a reality. And so if, if, if my current reality is that there's just some verbal opposition, well, Lord, grant me boldness. I don't need to worry about what's to come. Like I get to live in the moment, but God, help me be bold in this current moment that I may remain faithful in the moments to come. And so Stephen boldly declares, and they rush him, verse 58, then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. Yes, that is Saul, who we later know as Paul, who wrote many of the letters of the New Testament. But in this moment, he stands as an enemy of the people of God and is in agreement with the stoning of Stephen. Verse 59. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Friends, this is not a very traditional um, teaching on being evangelists. <laughs> That's what the sermon's about, evangelism. The church is called to carry Jesus. But there are some powerful things rooted in here that help us be carriers of Jesus. Friends, we carry Jesus. The, the, the actual act of carrying Jesus into the world is we are carrying him into enemy territory. And we are only going to be able to do that effectively if we love and care for our enemies as Jesus called us to do. And much of what I fear that the church is doing in America right now is we see the problems. We see the opposition. We feel what is currently happening and we see what may be to come. And 
we look at the world around us as our enemies and we oppose them and get angry at them as if we should expect them to be something they're not. The lost world, they're enemies of God. So they need the very good news of Jesus. And so what we carry is love for the very world that opposes him and us because we're like him. Is this making sense? It's only that kind of love that can produce Stephen's reaction. They're stoning him and he's saying, God, forgive him. Is that, is that what's quick to the church's lips these days? God, forgive this broken, dying culture around us and rescue them? No, we're gonna to try to force them to be more Christian. Let's pass a bunch of laws that'll make them be more Christian. We can have all, all the right laws all day long and man, I am praying for some good ones. I, I am praying over what the Supreme Court is weighing right now related to abortion. I am not against praying for godly moral laws to governors. I'm not. But friends, the bottom line is the culture has changed here. That's where it's changed. When people's hearts and minds are changed, that changes culture. We don't need a law against abortion if no one wants to get one. in the midst of recognizing the opposition of the culture around us and seeing the darkness, we've got to have love for the culture, even if it wants to kill us. And so that enables us, that kind of love gives us the ability to carry this spirit of forgiveness. Who did Stephen sound like right there as he's being killed? Jesus. Jesus is the only other one I know of that says, Father, forgive them while he's being killed. Stephen's looking a lot like his Jesus. He's carrying the love of God and saying, Father, forgive them. Okay, I know some of this stuff has been heavy, but friends, there, there is good news in the midst of carrying Jesus and the, and the cost that can come along the way. There's good news. Watch what happens next. Immediately, we turn over to Acts chapter eight. It just picks up right from this moment. Acts chapter eight, verses one through three. And Saul approved of his execution, and there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. All right, this was, the, this was the turning point. From this point forward, man, they were massively persecuted, especially in Jerusalem and in other Jewish cities around. And they were scattered throughout all the regions of Judea and Samaria. Where did Jesus tell them to go and make disciples? in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. How did the gospel spread? The seed was scattered because a seed fell into the ground and died. Because Stephen says, said, no matter what it costs me, I'm gonna carry the light of Jesus to a broken world that's in need. He counted the cost and he said, I'm in. And that seed falls into the ground. And the thing Jesus had told them to do that they hadn't done yet, they were scattered. Now they could have scattered and hid. That's what many of them did after Jesus died, right? But there's something different about these people now. They know who they are. They know whose presence they're filled with. They know they're a part of something together. And so as they're scattered, verse two, 
devote men buried Stephen and make great lamentation over him. I, I don't want to unpack that fully, but I just want to say the things I'm saying this morning aren't to cast aside that there's a time and a place for tears and grieving and lamentation when things are hard. That's not the purpose of this message, but we just have to state that reality. This isn't a don't ever be bothered by difficulty and just pull yourself up by your bootstraps and keep going. I'm not saying that. It's right and good to pause and to mourn and to weep and to reflect. They take time and they mourn Stephen and they bury him. But look what continues, verse three. Saul continued, he was ravaging the church. He entered house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. And then look at verse four. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. They were scattered, but they continued. See friends, the bottom line is our enemy that opposes Christ and opposes his church and wants to keep this world in a cloud of deception. That enemy who would oppose when he puts his foot on the gas pedal the most, when, when he is at work the most to snuff out the church and snuff out the work of God, by, by a miracle of God's economy, that very process of trying to kill it and shut it down, it actually is a force multiplier. And the opposition of the enemy turns into explosive growth. What happened to the church in China came directly as a result of what I'm talking about this morning. It's opposed, it's persecuted, cool, it explodes. God does something incredible when his people are willing to say, God, I'm in. I love you, I'm for you, and I want to carry you no matter what the opposition. And the enemy tries to shut it down, and God shows off and says, watch me work amongst my people. And so it spread. I want to close just briefly talking about the fruit. The fruit of carrying Jesus. I want you, two things I want to encourage you to see this morning. First one is, is a verse we read early on in this series, but now in some of greater context, I want you to see this. So after everything I just described, Saul goes on to have an encounter with Jesus. The same enemy that would stone and squash the work of the Lord, the enemy becomes a friend of God, a son of God. And Saul becomes a carrier of Jesus. It's incredible. And so the, uh, the gospel is spreading, the church is growing. And in Acts 9.31, we have another description of what's happening in the church, but now it's in the midst of all of this difficulty and persecution. Acts 9.31 says, so the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. Fruitful. It bore fruit. God was bearing fruit in their lives and people's lives were being touched. Friends, a part of carrying the fruit of Jesus is that, that we get to watch people who need him come to know him. We get to become who he's called us to be, to be carriers of him to a world in need. We get to participate in this. He grows us. Fruit grows in our lives and the seed is spread. Friends, the second fruit that gets revealed is something Paul goes on to write about. 
We get a glimpse of this in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 9 and 10. It's our last verse this morning. Paul, in the midst of the persecutions and the struggles that he experienced in his life sharing the gospel, he records that the Lord comes and, and kind of speaks this truth into his heart. 2 Corinthians 12, I'm just going to read verses 9 and 10. But he, the Lord, said to me, that's Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. So Paul says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content. I'm not, he didn't say he's excited or he's looking for, but he says, I'm content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. See, one of the beautiful fruits of, of choosing to say, Jesus, I'll carry you despite the circumstances around me. It's not just that I get to see fruit in the lives of other people. I get to see God do some miraculous stuff in me I wouldn't see otherwise. I get to watch his grace and his power show up in my life to do what I can't. Like, I can't do it. I can't make people accept Christ. I can't make the gospel spread all over Knoxville. But when I'm weak, when I don't have what it takes, when I'm not sure how to explain it super well, when I'm struggling with having boldness, his grace shows up and gives me what I need. That's what Mary was promised back at the beginning of this. The Holy Spirit would come upon her and do what she couldn't do for herself. So, so what's our response to all this, friends? Our response is to start by saying what Mary said. Yes, Yes, Jesus, I will carry you. That's glorious. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. You filled my life with joy and I get to take that to others. Yes. But I also get to be honest about the fact that it's going to be challenging so I can do what the church did. And along the way, I can ask for help. God, give me boldness and strength. And then I can even choose to forgive when it costs something. I can choose to forgive. God, this, this is hard and this hurts and this relationship hasn't gone well and this circumstance didn't go well and, and I can choose to say yes to him. I can choose to receive strength along the way to carry him and I can choose to keep my heart clean by saying, God, would you enable me to forgive others along the way? When I face opposition and it hurts and it's hard, God, help me to love well and to forgive. We can do that. And we can do that together. There's so much more I could say, but we can do it together. When the church was facing this opposition, they came together. They said, hey, Peter, you just went through that? John, you just went through that? Hold on, let's get back together. Man, all right, let's encourage each other. Let's seek God. God, we need some help here. All right, we're gonna press in and we're gonna carry on. Oh, this isn't going the way we thought. We thought we were just going to camp out here and be this cool little hub in Jerusalem. That's pretty cool. Oh, no, God's got us going in some different places. All right, well, Lord, help us go where you've called us to go and be who you've called us to be there. We say yes. We ask for help along the way. And we learn to travel light. We forgive because we're going to meet opposition. But it is for that very opposition that we carry Jesus. 
Paul says, I was the chief of sinners. He knew what he was talking about. I sat right there while this glorious saint was killed and I approved of it. I was the worst of sinners, yet Christ came for me. I know I've opposed him in my life. I know I resist him still at times. But he loved me while I was yet a sinner. Christ died for me. I realize I didn't equip you with three practical ways to tell people at the grocery store about Jesus. But you got what you need. He's with you and he's in you. And we can adore him and treasure him and we can carry him to a world in need. And we can say yes to being carriers of him. And we can ask for help or maybe we're a little timid. We can ask for boldness and strength to carry him. Amen. That filling comes. That filling comes. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for, for all of the beauty and the joy and the life that is found in you. God, that is what this season is about. Light in darkness. Life in the midst of death. God, we are grateful. Thank you for peace. Thank you for joy. Thank you for good tidings. God, we're grateful for all of that, Lord. God, in the midst of a message, we're talking about the fact that it's costly sometimes to carry you and to carry that message. God, may we never lose sight of the joy of the life that we have in you. And so God, out of love for you and out of love for a world that needs you, would you help us to carry you? God, may we live with a daily yes that says, yes, I will be a carrier of Jesus to a world in need. God, may we live with a daily sense of it's all right that we know we don't have enough and that it's difficult. And so may we have that mentality that says, God, in my weakness, would you come and be strong? Give me strength, give me boldness. And Lord, along the way, when it gets hard, when it gets difficult, when we're wounded, Jesus, would you give us your very spirit of forgiveness? The spirit that resided in Stephen, may it reside in us. God, we have been forgiven much. Help us to forgive much as well. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.